Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined, as always, for our weekly Penn State chat by Seth Engel of the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegian. Uh, Seth, we're going to be issuing some grades today. It's going to be a report card for the coaches in each position group for the uh, football team going down. Did they succeed? Did they fail? Um, as, as, a, as a group, um, we're going to go through all that, but how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's... Uh trying to find as much as we can to talk about football right now, even though um, it's been a little quiet, you know, for the first time. And what I think has been, you know, maybe, maybe half a year um, at this point. Um, but, you know, there's, there's always something. So we're going to find that today. I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of going through these, these report cards with you and some other stuff. Yeah. One of the slower weeks for news in recent times. So we always have little, uh, you know, little topics like this that can kind of warm up a quiet winter's night. So, um, lock in for that. We're also going to react to Bill O'Brien joining the Ohio State coaching staff, former Penn State coach for a couple of years, now the offensive coordinator for the Buckeyes. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Julian Fleming's viral NIL ad, um, get into a little bit of NIL talk and a little bit of basketball talk. So make sure you stay tuned for that on the other side. But Seth, I'm going to get right into it with the report card, and I'm going to start with what I think might be the most controversial and multifaceted grade that we're going to issue uh, which is to the coaching staff. What grade do you give um, the, the coaching staff as a whole? I think if we narrowed it down, it'd be a lot easier. So I, I'm curious what you think of of the whole effort by the coaching staff this season, considering you, know, you end up firing Mike Yersich as offensive coordinator, but you do a ton of great work on defense with Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz obviously graduates to Duke, the Duke head coaching job. If you add it all together, what, what grade do you give James Franklin and his group? You know, it's it's kind of hard to evaluate just based on how much the defense, um, you know, actually worked this year and how little we kind of saw production wise from the offense um, and then special teams, a little mix in there. Um, so I think when you add it all up, right, it's probably somewhere around maybe a B or a B minus, um, because I think you do have to give some props to to special teams. And I think you got to give, you know, a ton of props to Manny Diaz and that defense. Um, but the offense, and if, I don't know if, if you want to break it all down from position group to position group. Um, but you know, it, it's skewed from, from offense to defense, obviously um, just based on the fact that it was a, you know, a generational defense, maybe one of the best in program history and you know, the offense in a year that, you know, Penn state was really trying to do something uh, just couldn't pull through. Yeah, I think I'd give it a C. I'd probably give it closer to a C just because 
Um, you know, I think you vastly underachieved on offense, right? And I think you expected the defense to be good, right? So maybe not quite as good as they were, maybe not quite as elite as they were for much of the season. But um, if you look at where the expectations were, I think you were expecting a, a solid defense. So in matching those expectations, you probably give them, you know, an A for that. And then on offense, I think you probably give it closer to a D. And I think that right. balances out maybe to a C, C plus, something like that. Um, so that's that's going to be the grade that, that I issue for the coaching staff. Um, maybe slightly negative on, on James Franklin as well, just because you were in those those tight games. Right. And, and they didn't make the adjustments to, you know, kind of change things at the margins to kind of change the outcome. You know, I don't give them a ton of credit for shutting out Michigan State. Right. Um, so that's why I think I'm probably slightly a little bit more negative than, than you, Seth, on that. Um, Let's, you mentioned let's go position by position. Let's start with uh, quarterback. W- what did you see from Drew Aller this season? Do you factor Bo Pervula and, and his development and the way he was able to contribute in t- at times at all? Um, I, I think I'd, I'd probably come in similar there, Seth. I had pretty high expectations for Drew Aller. He certainly did not meet them. He had his moments. I think he was pretty responsible with the football, so you got to give him high marks for that. But I think I might say, like, you know, right, right on that borderline between a B and a C. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. I, I would go like C plus with, with Aller and, um, you know, you throw Prabula in the mix there too. But, you know, this was a guy who had high expectations and, you know, played really well in that West Virginia season opener. Um, so it seemed as if, you know, those expectations were going to kind of follow through and it really kind of just fell apart, you know, around midseason um, when, when it got to that Ohio State game was when I really do think that, um, you know, it started to to get a little a little uh, iffy for, for Aller and, you know, the rest of that offense. Um, but you also have to account for the fact that, you know, he really didn't have that great of a receiving core this year for whatever reason, um, whether it was talent, whether it was coaching. And we talked about, you know, that for for, you know, since the summer. So, you know, I do think that he does get credit for holding on to the football well. You know, only having a couple turnovers on the year, I think, is really impressive, especially for a first-year starter, um, and doing it, you know, under two different coordinators um, in the same season as as a first-year starter, I think, is difficult. And um, I think he was okay. You know, I I don't think he was great, and I I, I don't even think he was Sean Clifford level. Um, but you know, he's young and developing, and um, we'll, we'll see how how that kind of changes in that first year under a new you know, offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki. Yeah, I think the most disappointing thing, Seth, was was his performance in the big games. I mean, that's going to be a recurring theme is, is you know, those three games that, that really mattered, how well did he play? I, I don't think he he really stood out in any half of any one of those games. Um, you know, I, I think his completion set percentages were either at 50% or below in, in those contests. Um, threw for a lot of yards in the Peach Bowl, but they were coming from behind so you know i think that that kind of knocks things things down as well as you would have liked to have just seen one half one flash and i don't know that we saw it from him this season really outside of you know those last couple of games after the season had kind of already been decided and, and i think that's you know kind of an unfortunate development is is even if you don't win the game even if you don't um come close to winning the game you, you, you rally a little bit and you show some fire in one half we didn't see that from drew Aller. I'm going to have to see it before I believe Penn State has a chance to win some of those big games next season. Um, Seth, let's move on to the running backs. Again, I think a very mixed season. They really came on toward the end, but how, how many weeks did you and I sit here and talk about that long streak of, of no runs of 20-plus yards 
The explosiveness was not there for long stretches. Um, I think you and I agree that they're, you know, if, if we were grading where they finished the season and, and how you're, you know, looking toward 2024, how you feel about those two, I think you feel pretty good about Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. But, um, you know, I think on the whole, I, I think probably like a B minus situation for them is, is what, I, what I'd say. Yeah, that's exactly what I had. Um, this was a unit that was supposed to be an A plus group. Um, this was a duo that was supposed to be among the best in the country, maybe the best in the country, um, and didn't really figure it out until, you know, maybe Michigan State. Uh, that, that was the first game I really saw both of them, you know, on the same field, kind of breaking out some big rushes and, you know, also being a threat in the pass game. Um, and that was far too late. You know, that was the regular season finale. Um, Katron Allen, I think, had a good year. Um, I think he did what he was supposed to do. Um, but you know, that duo is, is supposed to complement each other. So it's not supposed to work with one guy carrying the load and then the other, um, you know, he sits back and he's just a regular backup running back. Like it's supposed to be two starters. That's how James Franklin tells us every day. It's why he won't call one of them the starter and one of them not. You know, it's it's a duo. Um, but this year, I mean, Nick Singleton, who was supposed to be that lead back, um, even more so than Katron, just, he just didn't get it done. Um, so for that reason, you know, they're, they're far out of the A threshold. You know, that's, that's definitely a B minus, B minus for me. Yeah. But to their credit, they were also at times the only part of this offense that worked at all. Fair <laughs> enough. But that's another thing too, like with, with the coaching staff, I mean, I'll interrupt you there, but like there were times when I feel like the run game would get hot and the coaching staff, you know, would stop using them. Um, I think we saw that in the peach bowl for whatever reason, you know, Nick Singleton with like eight quick rushes, like you're saying, oh, this is, you know, maybe carried over from Michigan State. And then they just cut it out and they started going to the pass game, which hasn't worked all year. So, you know, maybe those things kind of complement each other. But um, I don't know. It's, it's still, you know, there were there were times where they just didn't hit their holes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what stuck out to me. I think especially Singleton, there were times that you you saw the hole develop. Um, you know, especially if you're in the stadium, you know, more ground levels than if you're watching on TV and then it closes up, he, he just got swallowed by them. He did not have the same burst through them. Um, you know, I, I don't know why I, I, you know, people have theories that maybe he gained a little bit of weight. Um, I think we saw development toward the end of the season, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not all on them for the way this running game was in fits and starts. Um, there were moments where they probably could have been used a little bit better and, and weren't. And so that they don't stick out in our mind the way we should have. But there were definitely rushes that they both missed, and and so that you've got to um, take some points off there. Seth, here's we're going to move to receivers. How bad is your grade for them? I'm going to go all the way and say F, yep. and, and just because we saw things from by the end of the season, and I think it's because they didn't get better, right? It'd be one thing if you started slow, and by the end of the season you had a group and you looked at it and said. I can see the future of a, of a group here that, that can develop into something great for next season. It was almost the opposite. Keandre Lambert-Smith disappears um, in the Peach Bowl. What, they get it deep into the third quarter with, um, you know, barely any receptions by their their receivers. It was all on the, on the tight ends and the running backs. Um, they, got, they got significantly worse, and they did so after the firing of Mike Yersich, so you can't mm -hmm. even blame him. Um, I think all around it was a disastrous season for the wide receivers, even given the more modest expectations I think we came in with. Yep, that's that's an F. Um, I think that that might be the easiest group to grade this year. Um, it was the biggest question mark in the offseason, and it was the biggest question mark after the Peach Bowl. Um, just never 
figured itself out. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith showed that he's not a true number one receiver. Dante Cephas, who was, you know, one of the top transfers in the country, um, you know, a bit of a disaster. You know, he had one game against Maryland, showed what he could do. You know, it was really just a lack of um, being able to kind of make it with a Big Ten team um, against Big Ten defenses. It's a lot different than the MAC, and he was not able to do it. Um, he transferred to Kansas State, Kansas State last week. Um, you know, aside from that, you look down the rest of the room, as you were just saying, you don't know who the next guy up is. Like, we've heard these names pop up before, like, oh, Amari Evans, Caden Saunders, um, some of these young guys who have played in games but haven't really made a consistent impact that you sit, that you point to and you go, okay, well, that's the next Jahan Dotson. You know, that's the next KJ Hamler who's who's on his way up. It's just a matter of getting more playing time. It's not like that. Like, they had playing time. They just didn't make the most of it. Um, so for that unit, you know, that's an F. And, um, you know, if, if you're James Franklin, you hope that group figures itself out because that probably is the biggest question mark again going into a year where, you know, they kind of have to make the playoff. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, you do have Julian Fleming. I think that's the one upside. He is a former five-star talent. You would think that he is, of the past two years, probably the best receiver that they will have had in that room. Um but still, you have to have other guys to catch the ball. Otherwise, he's going to draw double teams. He's not going to be as effective. So I, I think there's still a lot to watch there. I think they're going to be a little bit better. It's just a question of can they get the support structure around Julian Fleming so that he can do what hopefully he can do. Um, let's get into the tight ends, Seth. I think this one's tough for me because I, they were reliable, but they weren't explosive. And you don't think of Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, even though they're solid NFL prospects and um, you know might have chances to have solid careers, they didn't do Mike Gesicki stuff. They didn't do Pat Fryermuth stuff. I remember how much Sean Clifford relied on Pat Fryermuth in 2019 on the on the road to the Cotton Bowl and, and how much what the percentage was of KJ Hamler and Pat Fryermuth uh, targets. It was it was insane how many targets those guys were drawing we didn't really see that kind of dominance from theo johnson and, and tyler warren so i'm inclined to say same as a lot of these grades we've been issuing so far right on that c plus b minus uh borderline yeah i'd give it a b maybe even a b plus um because i do think a lot of that too the reason why you know they weren't they, they weren't necessarily fryer or gasicki was also just the way that the offense was run um it took you know, how many weeks for Aller to throw, you know, multiple deep shots in a game? Uh, you know, I know James Franklin was asked the question midseason, like, you know, why don't you throw it deep, um, you know, with those 50-50 balls that we had seen with Kasicki, And, you know, that the offense just wasn't run like that. It was a very, you know, slow tempo, just slow tempo, kind of just chip away, chip away, chip away, and hope it works. And it did against the weaker teams. But eventually, you know, that system – it just did not play out. And I think they needed to adjust and maybe hit their tight ends a little more. I had always thought Theo Johnson as being this, you know, massive athletic tight end would have been a guy who maybe you play, you know, more, um, you know, out wide, maybe you give him some deep shots once in a while um, and through his whole career. I, I think I said that, you know, every single off season, like this is the year Theo Johnson's going to have his breakthrough because they're going to use him differently. And they just never did um, for whatever reason. I think we saw in the Peach Bowl what Tyler Warren is capable of doing. I don't think he's necessarily a deep threat, but I do think he's a guy you can give maybe 12 receptions in a game and he's able to churn out 
you know, 120, 130 yards, which which should be helpful, especially if this wide receiver core isn't um, isn't too impressive again. It'd be massive, massively helpful. I, I don't know if I I hold the lack of deep shots against them for the same reasons that you articulate, but there were just so few occasions, Seth, where it felt like they got the ball in space and were able to use some athleticism to to cut up and, and get an extra seven, eight yards and, and get those types of gains. Um, there, there, were, there was a lot of tackling the catch with those guys, and I think that that is how much do you hang on the offense? How much do you hang on them? Them, I'm not sure, but I know that that is it was what was missing for me. Um, you know, we'd love to see the the pit missiles, for lack of a better term, down the field. But yeah, sometimes those those gains in the middle of the field that are not like huge, but you know, consistent 15, 16, 17 yards, um, they weren't there. Yeah, they weren't. And you know, Drew Drew liked the tight ends too. You know, he he liked having kind of a big body that he could rely on. Um, especially, I think that's a big reason maybe why he didn't you know, throw as many interceptions as for, as many first year starters do is because, you know, when it, when it came time, either he, either he threw the ball away or he saw, you know, six, seven Theo Johnson or Tyler Warren, you know, in short yardage situations and he could just ship it off to them. Um, I do think that was important and maintaining that, but yeah, you need a little more of a spark there for sure. Seth, let's get into the offensive line before we move over to the defense. Um, what did you think of, of the season that they had? I, I think it was uh, kind of a lot of mixed results, right? I mean, the, the running game struggles at times, and, and for reasons that we discussed with there were there were holes at times and the running backs didn't hit them, but there were other times that, that they just really did not seem to get any kind of dominant push against um, you know some of these teams that, that they should have. Um, especially with, you know, Olu Fashnu going to the next level. He he should have been, I think, a lot more noticeable than he was. And I don't know if if that's – I, I kind of hang it more on the coaching staff, but but they never really mauled teams the way I think a lot of people hoped they would. See, th- this one's hard to grade. Um, and I will probably put it somewhere in a B, B-plus area, somewhere in there. Because um, I do think this was a good offensive line, especially when you compare it to teams of James Franklin's, you know, past, um, especially even a couple of years ago, like 2019 era, like 2020, like the offensive line has drastically improved. Like, I don't think there's, um, you know, any kind of person that would say that that's not the case. Uh, but you're right. You know, there were still areas. Um, but how much of that is also just, Big Ten defensive lines, right? You know, when you're going against Michigan's defensive line, it, it's it's hard to create separation. It's hard to give your quarterback time and create holes for your running backs. Uh, same thing with Ohio State and a lot of these a lot of these guys, Iowa too. Um, and I think they did a good job. I just don't think the offense that they were blocking for really capitalized, um, which kind of goes back to the other grades we were given. Uh, you know, Olu Fashnu is arguably the best offensive lineman Penn State's ever had. Um, I think they have a good core going into next year. Um, and I think I think there are some names that that could potentially be, you know, first, second round grades, uh, maybe in next year's draft or, or the year after. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that assessment, Seth. It, it, you're right. It is hard to dominate a Michigan and a um, Ohio State. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. Right. And you're talking about how you're building from bad offensive lines. That you need probably years of development to, to get to where Michigan and Ohio State are, and, and you're not going to make that leap in a short period of time. So I think a, a slightly more positive than negative grade there um, it probably makes sense. 
let's uh, let's move on to the defense. And, and I guess this is probably going to be a lot less controversial because mm-hmm. they mostly succeeded across the board. Let's start with the defensive backs. Um, Seth, I think this was one of the best groups that they had in total in yeah. a long time. Um, I think they've had better individual talents back there um, in different groups, but I don't know that the entire group as a whole felt as solid as it did this season. Yeah, I mean, this is another one. I look back to 2019 and see the improvement, um, and I say, well, Penn State may have may have been a playoff team in 2019 um, had their cornerbacks been been a little better. Um, you know, in that Minnesota game specifically, you know, wide receivers torched them. You know, if they had Johnny Dixon and Kalen King in that 2019 defense, might look a little different for for the trajectory of Penn State's program. Um, you know, I thought the defensive backs were great this year. Kalen King. Um, not targeted nearly as much as he was last year, um, kind of had the, the Joey Porter Jr. treatment um, and struggled when, when it came time to you know actually cover Marvin Harrison Jr. Nonetheless, that's Marvin Harrison Jr. He's one of the best college wide receivers we've ever seen. Johnny Dixon was great. Daquan Hardy was unbelievable at nickel, um, you know, a super underrated aspect of that defense. Um, and then at safety, you know, Jalen Reed was was solid all year. So kind of surprising. Um, KJ Winston jumping Keaton Ellis on the depth chart to earn a starting spot this year as a as a true sophomore. Um, but that, you know, K- KJ Winston is uh, is an up and coming guy for sure. Um, he was one of the best safeties in the Big Ten this year and doing his first year as a starter. Um, you know, I, I think I think the sky's the limit for him. And um, I'm excited to do I'm excited to see what this defensive backroom continues to do next year, too. Yeah, I'll go A minus just because you're right. I mean, they did not bring it quite as well as, as a lot of people probably would have liked in the big games, but um, but that's really the you, you have to kind of stretch for for a critique there. Um, so I, I think A is is definitely the range that they belong in. Right. Um, I'm going to go A plus on the defensive line, Seth. I, I, the pressure Penn State was able to generate consistently. Um, they had so many solid guys. It was starting to remind me of the years when I was in college when. Um, you know, Penn State was cranking out first round, second round, third round talent every single year. Um, they kind of gotten away from that for, for a period of time. But I think this year, you know, you've, you've got a group full of future pros for the first yeah. time. And, and I think that was a big difference that, that we saw. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd go A+. Plus. Um, I think this was, you know, among the best defensive lines in the country, maybe the best. Um, and to make matters even more impressive, you know, doing it under a first-year position coach in Deion Barnes, um, who played on that same defensive line, you know, a few years back. So interesting to kind of see how it comes full circle. Um, this was a unit that, after Michigan last year, got thrown under the bus by James Franklin. So we got to we got to be bigger. We got to play better in the trenches, and they did. Like they took that to heart. Um, that they had a team meeting right after the Michigan game. Um, last season, you know, Devon Ellis, PJ Mustafer, Hakeem Beeman, they all spoke up and got together and they really did turn it around. Um, so it was kind of cool to see how they capitalized on that. And we talked about this before when we were talking about Michigan success. Like if you want to be a championship contender, you got to build through the trenches. So for them to kind of have the defensive line checkmarked and maybe have a fit with Deion Barnes, I think that's a great place to start. Um, now you just got to move it to the offensive side of the ball and make that consistent. Um, and hopefully, you know, for Penn State, the numbers start to start to capitalize from that. 
move on to the linebackers, Seth. I'm going to go B plus here. I, I think the expectations were sky high for for a guy like Abdul Carter. You wanted to see him kind of transform into the total game record that Micah Parsons was. He's wearing the Micah Parsons number. He's wearing the LeVar Arrington number. I don't know that we saw him take that step this year. He was a very solid, good player, um, but but I don't know that he he went into total beast mode at all, and, and I think that's why I, I probably grade the linebackers a little lower than I grade those other two groups because I think I had a little bit higher expectations, um, and maybe they were unfair, but but that's where I'm I'm coming from. Yeah, I, I would still go B, maybe even B plus, because um, I have to give props to Kobe King. You know, middle linebacker was another one of those question marks that they had had even, you know, before the 2022 season when they were still in a competition between, you know, Tyler Elston and Kobe King. And um, it was the same way going into this year. Kobe King earns the job and just never looked back. You know, this is going to be one of the leaders of the defense next year. Um, I believe one of the best linebackers in the country. Um, and and he he really shined. Um, so I think Abdul Carter maybe not as uh, maybe not as exciting as his true freshman year. I think he still had a good year. You know he showed signs. Uh, maybe not as many, um, or maybe it's just a different kind of range. Given the fact that when he shows signs of the true freshman, it's like the oh he's a true freshman doing that. And this year is just like oh well he's expected to do that because he already did. Um, and then Curtis Jacobs I thought was solid again. Um, you know, whole here's name called in the NFL draft. Um, but Penn State, you know, has a plethora of of young linebackers who should be able to fill his spot pretty nicely. Yeah, yeah. No disrespect to Abdul Carter at all. I think it's just because his expectations were so yeah. high. I agree. I agree. You know, it, it makes it just a little bit more complicated. Um, all right, Seth, that's it on the report card. Let's move on to some of these uh, slightly newsy topics, I suppose. Um, first of all, what did you think of that uh, Julian Fleming NIL ad? Uh, what was he flipping a car? Um, in, in that with Blaze at Blaze Alexander, um, because we we'd seen him tease, you know, he had a Blaze Alexander car, I think, before he officially yeah. committed. That's why a lot of people felt he was leaning heavily toward Penn State. Then he shows up in the, in the ad. What, what did you think of of that whole package? And maybe maybe thinking of it in the big picture as a template for how what it's going to take to get you know premier talent in into Happy Valley is is you're going to have to get buy in from um, you know possible advert. I don't want to call them advertisers, NIL partners. I don't know what we call them. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and Blaze has been, you know, a direct partner of Penn State for how long? Like, that's that's been their guy. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see, you know, that that commercial was funny. Um, it was only about 30 seconds long. Um, but Julian Fleming, um, I think he, he smashed a, you know, a windshield with a, with a sledgehammer and, like, flipped over a Toyota – you know, it kind of shows maybe the fun side, the light side of NIL um, behind the curtains of all, you know, this uh, this madness that's going on. Um, but, you know, it was kind of fun to see. And that was, that was also really the first real introduction I think Penn State fans had with him, you know, hearing his voice, wearing Penn State kind of gear, um, you know, after, you know, he, he went to the rival a- after it appeared he was he was committing to Penn State out of high school and. You know, he's back and, you know, partnering up with with, you know, with a huge, a huge partner of Penn State football, um, I think is a signal of, of this new era. Yeah, but you know what I, I was impressed by, Seth, was, that, you know, they found a way to go viral. They found a way to make yeah. that worthwhile to Blaze Alexander, right? I think the, yeah, the big was concern was, was, is NIL going to 
like how many guys can move the needle? How many guys can actually be worth it? And how much of this is just pay pay to play? Um, you know, I like the innovation of, of you know, it, it was thoughtful and it, it was it was something that had viral potential. And Blaze Alexander definitely got. I don't know. I don't know what he paid. We don't know what the terms of the deals were. But definitely the the reach that that ad got um, has to be making Blaze Alexander happy. I think. You know, it's it's it should be a template for for how Penn State wants to maybe get some guys here. You're going to have to do things to get not only local attention but national attention. I, I think that's what we saw. So um, kudos for innovation. It's something I've called for on this podcast. I think this falls under that category. Um, so high high props to them for that. Seth, let's react to Bill O'Brien going to Ohio State. Um, boy, I, I, <laughs> someone who covered. The, the Bill O'Brien teams at Penn State, he, he is so woven in, into the lore for, I think, a lot of particularly younger people, um, how he weathered that storm, right? And and how he um, was kind of the rock on which this, this modern program was built on. I, I think lesser coaches going through that situation might have lost a lot more players, um, might, might have lost the locker room at times when they didn't have as much talent as, as some of the teams that they played in 2012 and 2013. Um, but he did the opposite. He brought players to Happy Valley when no one really wanted to play here. Christian Hackenberg, Adam Brenneman, their careers kind of didn't turn out the way a lot of people hoped. But, um, you know, I always give Christian Hackenberg a lot of credit for, um, you know, giving a lot of solid players permission to still come to Penn State, to still see something in this program. Bill O'Brien's tied to so much of that. And now he's going to be not just on another sideline, but the uh, opposite sideline of a rival um, that that Penn State has failed to get past for so many years. Just a really, uh, I don't even know if it's bittersweet. I don't think that's the word. I think it's just kind of a, a bitter pill for Penn Staters to swallow to see this guy that a lot of people feel really good about, um, you know, now now being the offensive coordinator for such a hated rival. Yeah, I don't think there's any question, you know, the impact that Bill O'Brien has had on this program. Um, there's a reason that it says 2012, um, you know, in the stadium with all the, you know, championship and undefeated seasons up there. Um, you know, that was, that was a big deal. Um, and I do think when, when Ohio state, you know, comes to town on, on November 2nd, you know, Penn state might want to think about doing something for him uh, because that's going to be his, his first game back. Um, I believe, you know, since, since he left for the Texans. Um, so I think that would be, you know, nice to do. I honestly, I don't think there's too much bad blood. You know, Bill O'Brien has has given Penn State football enough because I don't think that these days of of even talking about, you know, potentially making the playoffs um, or being in New Year's Six Bowls at a consistent rate. Like, I don't think any of that was was even in even in, uh, you know, the thoughts of Penn State fans um, after the whole scandal in, in, in 2011 uh, for Bill O'Brien to come in and um, really get that program back on 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 the right path. Um you know, I think has done enough. And, you know, if he goes to Ohio State, you know, that's that's kind of just the way the cookie crumbles. You know, it's a job. He needed a job. Um, and, you know, I think it's a good fit. I think it's going to be interesting, Seth, because I think there are a lot of younger people that have a lot of good feelings about Bill O'Brien. Um, but I think there are a lot of older folks that that looked at him as the guy who replaced Paterno and then left after two years who was, was kind of yeah. disloyal. That's just, I think that's how the industry works these days. I accept that. I don't really hold that against them, but I think it'll be an interesting reaction. I think you'll have, I think you'll have a lot of cheers, but I think you're going to have some boos too, um, especially because he's going to be there with Ohio State. It, it is going to be quite the interesting scene. It'll be interesting to see if they do honor him. I think they should. I agree with you. 
Um, but Seth, it does need to be said um, that what, what's happened to Bill O'Brien in the decades since he was at Penn State has not always been positive. Um, you know, gets fired from the Texans. Those offenses, you know, were not as, as up to snuff with, with some of the weapons that they have with Deshaun Watson, DeAndre um, Hopkins, then goes to Alabama. It gets a lot of abuse there. He was kind of the butt of, of jokes going into this college football playoff because he didn't yeah. he didn't see it with Jalen Milrow. Um, New England was obviously a disaster this season. That's not all his fault. I mean, I don't know what they really had to work with there, but it was not a solid – it's been – but it's been several years since we've really seen Bill O'Brien kind of be at the top of his game. Um, if you're Penn State, do you feel good or bad about going up against Bill O'Brien, regardless of the personal feelings involved? I, I personally think it's a good fit with Ohio State. You know, I, I think that Bill O'Brien is a guy who has, you know, as much experience in football um, as anyone. Um, you know, he's coached with two of maybe the greatest coaches in football history. Um, his past two stints where he works with Nick Saban and then Bill Belichick, you know, you learn something from that. Um, and then you go and you're an OC again, back in the big 10, um, which is, you know, where he got his first head coaching stint. You know, I think it's a good fit. Um, I, I also think this is important news because this signals the end of, of Ryan day calling Ohio state's plays, um, which is pretty significant. If you're, um, you know, a fan of any team that plays the Buckeyes, um, you know, there were some questions this year about whether, you know, the offense was was a product of, you know, you know, Day's ability to call plays. And now we're seeing him kind of step back maybe into more of a, a CEO role. Um, they have a lot to work with. We're seeing this transfer portal. You know, they have Quinshawn Judkins now and Travion Henderson. Like, that is a ridiculous tandem. That wide receiver core is going to be good again. Ibuka is coming back. Um, they just got, you know, an offensive lineman from Alabama. They just got Caleb Downs on the defensive side of the ball. And they have their quarterback of the future in Julian Sand. Like Ohio State is destroying the transfer portal right now. And they're pretty much serving, you know, this offense on a silver plate for, for Bill O'Brien in his first year. Yeah, I, I always say that Bill O'Brien's one of the smartest football coaches I've ever been around. Um, you know, and, and so he, I mean, obviously he has that Brown connection with Joe Paterno. Um, a smart guy. Can he make, can he make it work with all of those weapons? We will see. Seth, you mentioned the success Ohio State's had. We talked a lot about the well-documented failures that Ohio State was having early in the portal cycle, but they bring in a lot of talented players. Um, what, what is your read a on, on what that team is in, in the end? Um, or did they come out ahead? Did they come out behind and be um, kind of the example that, that they are setting once again, because you and I were talking off air that the Ryan day said, out loud, he gave thirteen million as the number it was going to take to field the team that he wanted to field. Um, and now there's reports out there that that's that's what Ohio State is, is spending in NIL. Of course, that's undocumentable, um, but you know, reportedly that's what it is. Is there something to be said if you're James Franklin for putting a number out there and, and telling your your alumni, like, listen, this is what it's going to take on a year in year out basis? Mm -hmm. And we need you to donate. We need you to be involved in order to, to kind of keep up with the Joneses, for, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I mean, holy cow. I mean, we, we talked, it seemed like just a month ago um, when Kyle McCord entered the portal um, and some of these other guys as well, some of maybe these lesser known guys in the depth chart. But it was a, it was a pretty grand exodus of, of talent leaving the roster. And we're saying, what is happening in Columbus, Ohio? You know, fast forward to – you know, last week we're saying, oh, my God, like Ohio State is killing it. Um, 
they're they're doing better than any team in the portal. I don't think it's even a question. Um, and it's hard not to point at their NIL base. You know, I look at the Quinshawn Judkins edition, and it really made me scratch my head. And I say, well, the only possible reason, and this is, you know, obviously, you know, uh, this is just me talking. Like, there has to be NIL involved. If you're taking a starting star SEC running back on a good team, like Ole Miss is going to contend next year. And just taking him and he's going to a different program. Like what? You know what I mean? Like there has to be something there. Um, I don't know if that's fact. I don't know what the deal is. I mean, obviously he's going to get paid. He's a star running back. Um, I don't know how much more it would be from, from Ole Miss or Ohio State. But, I mean, they are just getting everyone. And then to get Caleb Downs was just, you know, icing on the cake. That's number one transfer in the country. He was just a freshman this year. Um it's it's just you know I I think Ohio State is contending for a national championship and you know a month ago I was maybe iffy if they were going to be you know in the top two in the Big Ten again um, but you know Michigan's on the decline we don't even know what's happening with that program uh, Jim Harbaugh is probably going to be Chargers head coach I'd say um, as we're recording there are reports out there that that is what is going to happen so that right. might be the hook for next week's video right but it's just I mean Ohio State's probably on top of the Big Ten right now. Um, and to do so after three years of losing to Michigan and then see your rival win the national championship, um, maybe Big Ten's shifting again. Yeah, it's quite a response. And and listen, I mean, you got to give if, – if it is NIL, you got to give their alumni credit. And, and I think everyone uh, – Penn State needs to – you know, we've talked about it many times here, Seth, that, that you're going to have to do some things that you're uncomfortable with as an athletic department, as a donor base – uh, I do give Penn State credit. I think it's a lot further along than it was a year ago. A lot of progress has been made, but I think this is just a reminder that um, you know you don't Rome isn't built in a day either, and and it's going to take years of sustained um, excellence in this space to to contend with the Ohio States in the world. Um, you know, for this pr primo talent in the portal, um, Seth. Any final thoughts, specifically, I guess, on basketball before we sign off here? Weekend loss to Ohio State get a week to, to refresh here before you face Minnesota on Saturday. Um, I, th I feel like it's just going to be fits and starts all year, Seth. You're going to have games where you say, hey, that looks like a competitive outfit, and then there's weeks that, that they're just not going to be able to keep up, and, and that's kind of what goes with being a you know a, a mid-low tier um, Big Ten team. Yeah, I think the Wisconsin win was huge um, and definitely kind of sets a bar for the program and – you know, maybe a launch pad, especially to do it, you know, on your home court, um, you know, maybe get some people more invested in basketball. Um, but, you know, it's still a problem, you know, on the road, going to Ohio State, getting killed. There was, really, yeah, there was never there was never really a chance, you know, from the moment the ball was tipped. So they just have to find some consistency. Um, you know, I think Mike Rhodes is on to something. I think the recruiting class that they have coming in is, is – you know, pretty talented and um, better than recruiting classes that have kind of come through before. Um, but as for this year, you know, just kind of finding a spark and, you know, if they can make an impact in the Big Ten tournament, I think that's a good way to kind of propel yourself into next year. At least that's what Micah Shrewsbury did in 2021. Yeah, yeah, I think that's got to be the bar is is just like the Wisconsin one, you're right, was, was huge. And, and if you get a couple more of those, regardless of where the season ends up, you can look at them and say they go into next season with an ability to beat anyone, you know, on, on a good day. And, and maybe they have their own share of bad days and they're not going to be contending for a big 10 championship. I always think that's going to be a high bar to, yeah. to hold the basketball program too. But 
it's not about winning the Big Ten championship. It's about you know getting into the dance with with some level of regularity to make people pay attention. We saw the impact that last season had. Um, you know, just on a I think it had a big impact on football. Seth losing Micah Shrewsbury and how excited people were to how mad they were to then producing some solutions. Like we see how basketball can matter at Penn State. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the bar for Mike Rhodes. Can you can you make it matter on, a, on an annual basis enough that you get more people buying in? Uh, but Seth, this was this ended up being a much longer podcast than I thought it would be. But I think we touched a lot of uh, topics and and a lot of great talk. Uh, any final thoughts? No, that's it for me. Thanks, though, Adam. All right. Well, we will wrap up. Uh, stay tuned later today. The North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter will be back with a lot more Steelers talk, Steelers OC search. Zach Robinson was the first named candidate. Uh, who knows? Between now and then, they may name an OC that the, at the rate news is coming out. So Mike Yersich. Maybe, yeah, maybe it will be Mike <laughs> Yersich. So keep an eye out for that. Subscribe to this channel if you haven't already. We'll have a lot more uh, videos coming out. And please like this video if you enjoyed it. Help us out in the YouTube algorithm. Always helps boost these Penn State videos to a wider audience. We always appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com. <laughs>